Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. But let us read together God's Word. So verse 28, it says that about eight days after Jesus had said this, He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him. It's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Let's just pray again. Lord, where we lack understanding, may you teach us. Where we lack faith, would you fill us? Where we lack courage, would you embolden us? Where we lack obedience, would you help us and challenge us? Through the power of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, towards the beginning of this week, I uh, went out for a little jog, dog jog, with, uh, early in the morning. And I was listening to talks, and uh, I've been reading a lot and so on about this passage I've just read to you about the transfiguration. And it was a beautiful early morning, and the sun was up in the mist. And it was really quite a wonderful introduction for me to this passage uh, that morning as I was thinking about the transfiguration and the shining of Jesus on that mountaintop, and then to see this beautiful scenery out there. Uh, as I was in Greywell, was a lovely sight to behold. Now, Luke's gospel, we can really separate it into two parts. 
the first part is really chapters 1 to 9 and covers the birth and the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which is based, his ministry is based around Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And then from chapter 10 onwards, we read of his journey towards Jerusalem and his ministry and his, his death and so on in Jerusalem. And so we're now approaching the end of the first half of Luke. And by the way, we're going to take a break after next Sunday in Luke's gospel for six weeks and do something different uh, before in the new year we'll pick up again because in chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so we're going to follow his journey to Jerusalem, building up to Easter. I know it's hard to imagine the new year or Easter at this point and those sort of things. I didn't mention a certain word you might have noticed, by the way. But until now, Jesus had been traveling around the northern part of Israel, around Galilee, with Capernaum as his kind of headquarters. And here, he has established who he is through his words and his works and his wonders, people have increasingly beheld who he is, climaxing, of course, as we saw last week, with Peter's great statement in chapter 9, verse 20, I know who you are, you're the Messiah. Finally, Peter gets it, but what he doesn't get is exactly what that will mean. It's not, as people might have hoped, a great triumphant ride into Jerusalem to lead another Maccabean revolt to kick out, this time, the Romans. And so Jesus is careful to clarify what this will mean, that he is the Messiah. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, and he must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. The road to glory will be through suffering, Peter and the disciples. You need to understand that. And by the way, since you are my followers, guess what? You too must deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me. So that's Jesus' stern warning to these disciples. We saw it last week. Now in verse 28, in our passage this week, we pick up the story and it says that it's been eight days since Jesus said those words and now he takes Peter, James and John for a long walk up a mountain. So the disciples have had a week to ruminate on those words of warnings. And let's face it, I would imagine these disciples are probably not in a great place. We don't know for sure, but I would like to conjecture that they were probably thinking to themselves, is this what we signed up for? Have we got the right leader? Suffering? Self-denial? Sacrifice? Who fancies this? Any takers? Hmm, not so much. And it's at this point, after these stern warnings, and just before they're about to set off on their challenging journey to Jerusalem, that Jesus takes his three key disciples, the influencers in the group, up a mountainside. Traditionally, the mountain is Mount Tabor, 
but we don't really know. But it does tell us here in Luke, typically Luke tells us that Jesus is going up this mountain to pray. And we don't know what he's praying about. But given his recent announcement about his imminent death and his later prayers, we can guess that it's going to have something to do with his mission that he's about to uh, accomplish and the cup that he must drink. At any rate, as usual, when Jesus invites his disciples to a prayer meeting, it tells us in verse 32 that they become very sleepy. Meantime, as they're dozing off, Jesus is praying. And as he's praying, it tells us that he is transfigured. Trans meaning to change, figured talking about his visage, his face is changed. In Matthew's version, it tells us that his face shines like the sun. The literal Greek word here is metamorpho. His appearance dramatically changes. And we're reminded, aren't we, I think, of Moses. Do you remember how Moses was up on Mount Sinai? And do you remember as he came down, it says that his face was shining and He'd been in the presence of God and like the moon reflecting the light of the sun, Moses' face, do you remember, was kind of radiant with God's glory. Only now with Jesus, it's even more amazing than that. It's more powerful than Moses because whilst for Moses, it was kind of the reflected glory of God, for Jesus, he is the sun. It is the glory coming from within him. He he is radiating from within because he is the glory. And there he is being revealed on this mountaintop. In Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. So up on this mountain, just for a few minutes, the veil is lifted and we see who Jesus really, really is. Yes, he's fully human. We've seen that. He gets tired, he gets hungry. He's a human being. No question about that. But now we're shown the other side. We glimpse his iridescent, radiant, divine glory and majesty. And it's an amazing sight. In verse 30, it tells us that Moses and Elijah turn up on this events on this mountaintop. And it seems as if Moses and Elijah have been kind of hoiked away from heaven, where they've been gazing on the glory of the Father in heaven. And now, for a brief time, they're here on the mountain, gazing on the glory of the Son of God on earth. But we can ask the question, of course, why Moses and why Elijah? I think part of the answer is that, of course, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. Moses, the giver of the law, who wrote the first big chunk of our Bibles. Elijah, the representative of the prophets, who gave us much of the rest of the Old Testament. And here's the thing. The law and the prophets of the Old Testament were all pointing ahead to the Christ. And so we have Moses and Elijah here with Jesus 
who is about to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets had spoken about. The law was good in itself, but it was unable to bring us life. You see, the law pointed ahead. It was like a school teacher leading us to Christ. But it was Christ and Christ alone who was to perfectly fulfill the law so that we might come into the freedom of the sons of God. Tells us in Romans, doesn't it? For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his son to be sin for us. You see, Jesus would perfectly fulfill the law, perfectly obey the law, unlike us, and therefore perfectly free us from the condemnation of the law. He was the fulfillment of the law, and the prophets pointed also to the Messiah, spoke many, many times about the one who would come. So, The law and the prophets are there. But I think there's just a little bit more to this as well, because we're even told what Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking about. It's quite cool, isn't it? In this passage, it actually tells us what they were discussing. And what it says is they were speaking about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Now, the word departure there. You might have it in your footnotes. In the NASB, it actually renders it the original language, which is exodus. They were actually speaking about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, I can see you bright things here. There's bells ringing in your, in your heads because exodus, we all think, we all know, don't we, about the exodus. You remember Moses, you remember how Moses led Israel out of slavery in Egypt? And do you remember that key moment in all that, that whole Exodus thing was the Passover there when the, uh, they were spared judgment, the judgment of God, because the blood of the Passover lamb was applied to the door, doorposts and their enemies were judged and they were set free and they were set on the road to the promised land. The Exodus, do you remember that? Yeah. Now, here, Jesus is going to accomplish a new exodus. And that's what he's speaking about with Moses and Elijah. He, the Passover lamb, will be sacrificed for us. We will be spared God's judgment and set free to become God's people headed for the promised land. Jesus is going to accomplish a new exodus. And that's what they're talking about. But that must have been hugely encouraging for Jesus, mustn't it? There he is. He's just pronounced what's going to happen to him. He's just about to set his face to Jerusalem on his mission to the cross. And here he is before that happens. And he's having that confirmation with Moses and Elijah that, yes, this is what he's called to do. It must have been an amazing comfort to him as he embarked on this journey. But I do think that this passage and the timing of this event is especially there 
for the disciples to be encouraged. I mean, this was such a unique experience for them, wasn't it? The whole experience, I think, was uniquely timed for Peter, James, and John. Jesus, the perfect shepherd, knows when we need encouragement, doesn't he? Yeah? Just that, you know, he knows how to encourage us. And Jesus knows these guys need this experience. And so look what happens. Peter, James, and John have been dozing off, and suddenly there's this light piercing, and they aroused from their sleepiness. They rub their eyes, and they see the glory. And in verse 33, Peter, I love this, as always, Peter's the one who opens his mouth and then engages brain, doesn't he? And uh, Peter seems to do this all the time. And so he sees Moses and Elijah departing, and he goes, wait, wait, this, this is really good. Um, we should stay here. Let me put up some tents for the three of you. And <laughs> you know that moment when, you, when you're in the presence of greatness and you just feel a little bit overawed and you don't know what to say, so you kind of just babble something out and you just want to suck the words up because you just feel so stupid that you said that. But, you know, it's, it's, that feels like what Peter's doing here. It's kind of, God, I've got to say something. So he just babbles out this thing. And uh, Luke comments, doesn't he, in brackets. We've got it in our, in our notes in brackets. Peter didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> and in verse 34, it, I find this quite amusing. Verse 34, it says, as Peter was still speaking, this cloud envelops him. It's like God, the Shekinah glory of God, suddenly kind of envelops him. And it says Peter was afraid. And it's as if God is saying, look, Peter, just zip it, all right? I mean, stop bossing Jesus around and trying to run the show here. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Quoting from Psalm 2 and from Isaiah 42, the reading we had earlier today, this is my, here is my chosen one in whom is my delight. This is my son, my only begotten son, in whom I eternally delight. Listen to him. It's like for Peter and the disciples, it's kind of, hey, we have got the right man. We are, for, we are on the right track. And actually, there's going to be suffering, but there's glory. We can see the end as well in this. It's going to work out. It must have been a massive shot in the arm for these key disciples to know as they're about to embark on this journey, this challenging journey to Jerusalem, that Jesus is the one. And it's a big moment for them. It's a memorable moment for them. In fact, John, I think there's a verse there that Scott could just put up quickly, John uh, looks back, I think that John may be referring to this when he says in John chapter 1, verse 14, as he's looking back at the end of his life, and he writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
Maybe John's thinking as he's writing those words, yeah, we saw his glory on the mountain. Certainly, I think there's no question that Peter is referring to this when he looks back at the end of his life. And in 2 Peter 1, verse 16, Peter remembers this moment. And he says, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we were told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This has had a huge impact on Peter. Peter, James, and John needed this moment, this glimpse of glory, this mountaintop moment, this encounter with the divine. See, they've just heard these stark warnings from Jesus about their future. They're about to face a whole bunch of challenges In fact, the very next passage, which I'm not going to delve into, but I read it to you this morning. The very next passage says, doesn't it? They come down off the mountain. They have this mountaintop experience. And then immediately they face a seriously ill boy. And they don't know what to do. And they can't help him. And they're struggling. And they're they're out of their depth. And it's tough. And... We have that, don't we? We're up on the mountain and then we hit, we come down into the valley and, oh, didn't expect that. Oh, God was with me. Bang, there's this challenge again. And they have that and they're going to go on this journey to Jerusalem. They're going to face all the challenges when Jesus is arrested and all those things that are coming up. They need to have the mountaintop moments so that they can then face the challenges in the valley. And we do, don't we? We need those moments as well. Now, let me just be absolutely clear. There is no way that we're going to experience the transfiguration. I mean, only three of the disciples got to experience it. So that was a unique one-off experience that uh, we would have loved to have been at, but we were not there. But that doesn't mean that we can't still have mountaintop moments Moments of encouragement from God, because we need them, don't we? We really do. We, we can be on the mountaintop, and then we're in the valley, and suddenly we have, we're full of faith, and then there's a challenge. Do you ever find that? Yeah? You think, something didn't work out. You think, I thought, I don't get it. Or there's a problem that's not going away, and you're struggling with it. Or there's a worry, or there's a tough decision that you have to make, or often more than one tough decision. And then you hear, you have these mountaintop moments. God will provide. You think, yeah, God will provide. And then the next day, you open your bank balance. You know, yeah, God will heal. And then you go and see the doctor and, ah, okay. God will look after my kids. And then there's a discouragement. Yeah, we face these things. That's life. That's reality, isn't it? But in the midst of those things, we need to know that God is powerful. God is glorious. 
He is the Lord of history, as we were singing earlier on. He is over all. He is sovereign over everything. He will sort everything out. Everything will work out in the end because we've seen a glimpse of our future, the glory that is to come, and that he is with us right now, and we can have those moments where we have his power come to us to help us. So as I say, this transfiguration experience was a unique one and not one that we're going to have. But actually, whilst these three disciples alone had this experience, all the disciples and many more, only some months or maybe a year later, experienced Pentecost. When the wind blew, the spirit came, flames of fire, moments of glory there on the day of Pentecost. And Luke shows us all the way through the book of Acts that the people of God can expect to encounter the living God on a regular basis. As we go through Acts, we find it, don't we? As they gather and they're praying, God comes. As, as, as Peter is preaching in Cornelius' house and he's preaching to these people and suddenly it says the Spirit came upon them as he was preaching. And they're all suddenly filled with joy. Right through Acts, we find that God has, gives moments of power to his people to encourage us, to fill us with faith, to fortify our inner being. I want to encourage you today to have that sort of expectation for your life, that God does want to encounter you, meet with you, expect to encounter the living God. In your own times, perhaps when you have a moment of prayer, when you read the Bible for yourself, those moments when God comes to you and encourages you. But when we gather as well, let me, let me urge you, let me encourage you, as, I, as we come, for example, uh, to preach in a meeting like this right now, this is not just supposed to be a talk or a lecture. This is supposed to be a moment when actually we're open on the Godward side and we're encountering God. We're finding faith coming to us as we're hearing his word. God's lifting our eyes. God's giving us faith. God's encouraging us. Let's expect to encounter God in his words. When we sing our songs in a meeting, we're not just going through, oh yeah, that's my favorite song. I don't like that one so much, whatever. Let, let's put those things to one side and Let's realize as we sing these great words of truth, we can get glimpses of glory. And we can be filled with his spirit. As people share in the meeting, as people bring their gifts, things can happen. Lives can change. As we pray for one another, he can heal, he can touch, he can help, he can change things, he can do things. And he does. I love what Terry Virgo wrote in a tweet that uh, I uh, think I shared briefly recently. But he wrote this. He said, the primary goal of the gathered church is to get believers worshipping and focused on God as their center, their life giver, their majestic king. We're not here to be entertained. And that's so right, isn't it? We're here to encounter the living God. So let me urge you and encourage you, because God knows the challenges that are ahead. 
God knows the things that we have to go through, but actually he's going to help us through those things. It's going to end well because he's given us glimpses of his glory as he did for these disciples here. We're on a mission. We've got a big mission to achieve. We've got huge things that we want to do as a church, but we so need to know his presence amongst us. We can't go. As Moses said, Lord, I, I'm, I don't want to go unless I know that you're with me. So we want him to show himself to us. Let's pray right now because I'd like to pray that even now uh, God would just do things. Uh, so maybe should we stand together? Can I encourage you to stand where you are? And uh, if you're listening online, why don't you put out a hand or just to receive from God um, Let's be open. Maybe there's something that you need from God this morning. I just encourage you, as, as I'm praying now, reach out to him. If there's a need that you have, if there's an issue that you're facing... Just bring it to God. Lord God, I, I thank you that you're so powerful, you're so glorious, you're so majestic. And so, Lord, I ask you now that people will be filled with your power with your presence. I ask you, God, to bring peace to people who are anxious. I ask you that you would bring faith to those who are perhaps struggling with questions. Oh God, I ask you to bring courage. I ask you to bring hope for those who are just feeling a bit hopeless. Oh God, I ask you that as we face challenges, as we face tasks ahead, oh God, just come now and fill us with your power. Fill us with your hope and life. Lord, we would not want to be following anyone other than you, because you are the glorious one. And whatever that means, whatever the challenges are to following you, we know, Lord, that you're on the throne. Just think there's someone here that God just wants to encourage you to make a fresh commitment to him. You've just perhaps been a little bit, you know that you've been drifting a bit in your heart. And, and he just says, right now, come on, I want you to just make a fresh commitment. Lord, I pray that you'd help those people to, to entrust everything to you, every part of their lives. Someone here, I think, just feeling a bit stuck with something, stuck in a rut with 
even an area of your life which you just don't seem to be able to overcome the, uh, the, the sin and the challenge. And, and God says, yeah, Jesus has led a new exodus. There is freedom. You can be free. Thank you, Lord.